The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world to officially pump out 100 episodes of pure mediocrity. I'm Jake Mintz and that's Jordan Schusterman. And there's nothing shameful about being a league average player. Yeah, exactly. We strive to be a 100 O podcast S plus uh, every time out. And we have done it. Jake, this is our 100th episode of baseball barbacast and this is this is momentous it's weird because on one hand it's like wow 100 episodes on the other hand it still almost feels like we just started this thing and that's what's both very cool and very strange about reaching this milestone but we wanted to take a little bit of a different approach first of all welcome back it's nice to see you i, I enjoyed my podcast with matt ritchie on monday but it is it is nice to see you all, all as well you, you're do, you're doing okay uh still jet lagged but uh that's the point kind of when you come back from the west coast you feel jet lag. Jordan, with this momentous 100th episode, we couldn't get our families on the field in the way that you see with a 300th hit, 3,000th hit, or a 500th home run. So instead, we're just going to ask one another a whole lot of questions. And that is the basis of today's show. I will ask Jordan Schusterman a baseball question. Jordan Schusterman will ask me a baseball question. And then we will read one from our beloved listener email back. Yes, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. We're going to try to get through a bunch of these. We have been promising this for a while. Now, you also might be listening and saying, well, what's why is this different from all, you know, Mani Shana? Why is this? You guys ask each other questions all the time. Well, in this case, we have not really prepared each other for what we are going to ask them. So this will be a little bit more, a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more spontaneous. Uh, but we are going to also, you know, cover some of the real baseball news and, and nuggets that have that have taken place since we last podcasted and even as recently as last night. But as Jake said, the rotation will be you will begin. You will ask me a question. I will ask you a question and then we will send it to the mailbag. We're going to get through as many as we can and try to keep this under an hour. And uh, let's just have a good time. It's Wednesday. We're in a good mood. Let's do a podcast for the 100th time. Jordan Schusterman. Hey. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees now has 14 home runs in 39 games. He is four back of Pete Alonso for the lead in Major League Baseball, despite having played 10 fewer games than the Polar Bear. My question for you, would you be interested in Aaron Judge chasing down his own American League home run record again? Last year, Judge had 62, and it was a whole thing. If he's like chasing and gets to 63, do you give a shit? Uh, yes, I do. I am interested in it. It's weird because on one hand, I would like this to be a real home run race that we didn't have last year. Like I, by the end last year, of course, it was amazing watching Aaron Judge. But I did also he was again, as, as we've talked about, he was he was chasing a, a ghost, right? He wasn't necessarily chasing or competing with somebody else. And I guess maybe I'm going to throw it back to you this way. Like, would you prefer judge versus himself or judge versus Pete 
over the course of a season. What would be more compelling this year from the overall narrative standpoint? Because to me, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of would like to see someone hit 60 home runs again. Maybe maybe it's both. Well, you know, as you like to say, why, why not both, right? So maybe that's the correct answer. I would be compelled by that. Yes, if he is, is he in range to have back-to-back 60 home run seasons, regardless of if he's running away from the pack? Yes, I would be interested in that. What I don't want is Aaron Judge leading the league with 49 home runs and no one else is close. That That's what we don't want. That's not interesting. I totally agree with you. I mean, the most interesting thing is, obviously, Judge plus Pete challenging Bonds. Like, that is the most compelling part of this. The two guys in New York, right? Like, that's the dream narrative. Is that going to happen? No, because 73 home runs is just a ludicrous number and won't happen as long as baseball is structured the way it is, right? Yeah, I, I, I But I do think I, I would be really in on Pete plus Judge first to 60. I think that is cool. Hmm. Yeah, no, and, and Pete is like, again, it's not like, we, like we've seen Pete get pretty, you know, he hit 53 as a freaking rookie, and I know the ball was, at least we think, a little bit more juice then than it is now, but it doesn't seem to be slowing him down at all, and if we were picking guys that could hit 60 home runs, I mean, he's probably one of the three or four guys you're picking first, and that's even before his hot start this year. My favorite part about this, if it's just Judge chasing Judge, would be like, the videos of 2022 judge mm-hmm. being played versus 2023 judge. Cause you know, last year when he was chasing Maris, it was like, Oh, 60, 1961, 61 and 61, all these old videos of old Yankees. And instead this year, it's just like HD video of judge hitting 62 last year versus him trying to get to 63 this year. But what I need is like, I need like a Mario Kart style, like, you know, how you have if you're doing your time trials and you can see your previous pace. I don't exactly know how you would make that video. Obviously, you could show it on a very simple graph that shows, okay, here's where he was on May 24th versus last year. But I would love to see some creativity to make it so it does look like he's chasing his own ghost the way you're chasing your ghost down Rainbow Road. Exactly. Jordan, do you have a question for me? Yeah, and I'll stick with the theme just off off of like, you know, last year, Judge kind of ran away with the home run race. It wasn't even close. And sure, we were also still debating, you know, MVP to some degree with with Shohei Otani and whatever. But I want to focus on an award here and and keep a pretty, pretty simple, straightforward baseball question for you, Jake Mintz. And that is NL MVP, Ronald Acuna or the field? Who you got? Ronald Acuna. So you don't think uh, again? We're we're less than two months into the season. He has been the best player. He's going for 30, 50, 30, 60. I actually think that sixty steals. I we talk about 40, 40. 60 steals might be more likely than him getting to forty home runs. But he's been amazing. I mean, there's a reason I'm asking this. But but still, at this stage in the season, would you take Acuna over? Every other player in the NL. Obviously, we'd pick him if the award was today, but I'm saying if you had to predict who would win at the end of the season, would you pick him or the field? I would pick him, and here's why. Acuna does not have an MVP, correct? Mm-hmm. And so voters are often wary in any sport to give players like back-to-back, or if you see a player already has one, they're less likely to get it. And so when I take a look at who's been incredible other than Acuna in the National League this year, The two names that jump out to me are Freddie Freeman, Mm -hmm. who won in 2020, and Paul Goldschmidt, who won last year. And so if either of those guys and Acuna are like equal on value or numbers, I think voters would go with Acuna because he doesn't have one. The other guy who's kind of in that level is Sean Murphy, 
with the Braves, who's been incredible. And I don't see a scenario where Sean Murphy beats out Acuna. Like mm-hmm. Acuna is the best player on the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. That like we know that now. And the narrative of Acuna's leg exploding when he tore his ACL. Now he's coming back. Like it all just feels very ripe for an MVP war to be uh, earned by him. He's currently 48 games into the year, 11 homers and 20 steals. No one has gone 40-40 since Alfonso Soriano in 2005. I believe it was six, but I will check that. 2006, thank you. Um, um, and so, yeah, I, yeah, I'll take Acuna over the field right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, yes, 2006, just an, an all-time Nationals moment. Um, this one year in the district. Maybe the greatest thing to ever happen in RFK. Uh, I also think, I mean, Pete Alonso, we just talked about him. I know he's only hitting 230 right now, but... I'm curious how many home runs, maybe that's the real question, how many homers would Pete have to hit? It, Of course, it has more to do with how the Mets would finish, right? If they're 15 games back of the Braves, he's probably not getting votes anyway. But like if they if they get into the wild card and Pete hits 60 home runs, again, Acuna is going to have 30 and maybe 50 steals, so it'd be interesting. And the war is not going to be close, I realize that, no ma- almost no matter what. But Pete is the one that I, I do feel like I made the joke last year when he had all those homers and all those RBIs. If it was the 70s or 80s, we'd be talking about him as a finalist along with Goldschmidt. But overall, he was you know a little bit far behind, guys. But narrative-wise, I feel like Pete will be in that mix, too. I will take Acuna, and the last reason I'll give you is watch him play. <laughs> you watch Ronald Acuna play right now. It, he's just oozing, I'm the best baseball player on the field. In a way where if you go to a, a Braves game with a baseball noob, they will be able to pick out Acuna as the most elite player. Right. No, I agree, which is especially impressive because Sean Murphy's been so good, because Matt Olson, you know, is also capable of being up there as, as one of the best players in the league. But I think that is that is a good one. All right, Jake, let's go to our mailbag. Who is our first email? This is from Nicholas. The subject line is Paris and the Mariners City Connects. This will be fat. It is Paris Fashion Week. Hi there, Jake and Jordan. I hope you're both having delightful weeks. Thank you. Yesterday, I was walking through Paris, and what did I spy but a Mariners City Connect jersey being showcased in a store that otherwise exclusively sold NBA merch? See the photo below. So the photo here, just this is now me talking. It is just Nike basketball shorts, Nike socks. Uh, a mannequin holding a Wilson basketball and wearing a Seattle Mariners City Connect top. It is absolutely hilarious. I was very struck by this mannequin wearing the jersey while holding a basketball and being clothed in basketball attire. Otherwise, this crossover raised significant questions that I would love to hear your takes on. These questions include, do you want to go one by one? Do you want to ask answer? Let's ask sure. answer. Sure, sure. Do you think the store thought this was a retro Seattle Supersonics jersey? Do they know that it is a baseball jersey? Um, I don't know if they know that it's a baseball jersey, but I do feel pretty good that they know it's not a basketball jersey just because sleeves, right? I feel like sleeves, if they have other basketball merch, I know sometimes players now will play with sleeves, but the jerseys do not have sleeves. So to me, that would be enough of a tip off. There's enough other basketball merch, you would know it's not a basketball jersey. They did have sleeves. It was like a three-year run. Like LeBron in the NBA Finals when they won in Cleveland, wasn't he wearing sleeves? Like, weren't they but wearing those it, black not, sleeves? Was it part of the jersey or was it like yeah. sleeves under? Yes. Yes. Okay. There, there were sleeved jerseys. Now, they weren't tight. Like, those jerseys, like the NBA jerseys were very 
tight. Baseball jersey sleeves are much looser. I think there is a chance. I think that they think it's a, a basketball jersey. I think that we don't maybe know about the Supersonics or whatever. I think they believe it is a basketball jersey. Yes. Question number well, two. <laughs> Go ahead. The other thing about it is uh, maybe more relevant point, because thank you for reminding me about the sleeves, is the buttons. The button is where you kind of lose me from a basketball standpoint, let alone the material. But anyway, let's con- let's continue. But there's a chance they think it's like a stylized version of a basketball jersey, right? Right. Like they're still representing a team in Seattle. Sure. Okay, great. Like there are Lakers baseball jerseys that you can buy. True. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Not that you would buy, but that one could buy. What would baseball be like if people played in basketball attire? Here's my first thought. Here's my first thought. Ready? Tons of sunburns. And Mm. that is because baseball is very white. And not only is it very white, it is very – a lot of these guys are very pale. And they are standing in the hot sun. And they are stubborn creatures who do not like sunscreen. And so you would have a situation where like, you know, Paven Smith – would just get torched by the sun and be like, you would have like, I like guys would go on the injured list with sunburns would be my first thought. That's a great point. I also think uh, you would, at the same time, I think you'd have people combating that with the way you see in the NBA, which is guys that have not necessarily socks, but basically sleeves on their legs that aren't full pants, right? That go all the way up to the thigh. A lot of NBA players that have that. I think you would have some style styles of that as well. So if we're saying you're playing baseball and basketball shorts, this did happen. The White Sox did play way back when with shorts. The pictures are incredible if you've never seen them. It hurts to slide. That's the obvious one. I would love the basketball jersey tucked into the baseball pants. We have seen the San Diego Padres warming up during BP in like these custom Padres basketball jerseys. Yes. So there is precedent here, I guess. Here, here's what I would say, though. Another important part of this conversation is the shoes. So we could focus on the shorts and maybe a sleeveless top and, you know, no hat. Uh, but what about the shoes? What about no cleats? What about playing in, you know, the latest whatever shoes of your, you know, fancy basketball shoes of your choice? How much would that impact the sport? It would impact pitching. You'd have much less grip. You would have uh, – it would be a big problem for, like, base running, for cutting – Right. That's a, you'd see a lot of like torn ACLs because the guy's <laughs> slipping. People, a lot of people like probably like blowing out, like rounding second on a hard turn and basically just like Tokyo drifting into the outfield. <laughs> yes. I see this a lot as a little league coach, right? Because not all of my kids have cleats. Like some of them just play in, I guess I'll say flats, you know? And so you'll get a lot of kids who maybe don't have, who have agility, but don't have the ability to utilize They it. don't have the traction. So that's exactly thing. All right. Number what's three. the next, yeah, next question from Nicholas. Which here. baseball uniform would look best if adapted to a basketball uniform? I would say the Pirates, Pittsburgh Pirates, black and yellow. When in doubt, Pirates. That's also a funny answer because they don't have a basketball team. <laughs> so that's the one thing they are missing in Pittsburgh as a, as a fantastic sports city, but I think that's a, a good one. <laughs> Nicholas points out, pinstripes look great on baseball would be a messy jumble on basketball uniform. Probably true, although I do feel like there are some basketball uniforms with, with stripes. Uh, the next question, did they pair this jersey with the black shorts as a tribute to the incomprehensible use of black baseball pants for the M-City Connects? How do you feel about black baseball pants? I like the concept of colored black baseball pants. 
or sorry, of, of like of colorful baseball pants. So like in Cuba, you'll see red pants, you'll see green pants, yellow pants, blue pants. I like that as an idea. I like pushing the boundary. Case Western Reserve University in college, they have this like full Navy set mm-hmm. that I'm not sure if it looks good, but it certainly looks different. Mm-hmm. And I respect the hell out of that. The full black look um, is cool. I don't love the like the gunpowder dark gray look with a different colored top. I'm, I'm out on the Mariners top. Um, there's no way this store in France knew that this was the Cindy Connects. And then five, how long will it take before Nike begins to market authentic baseball pants to people? Uh, fans wear jerseys and pants all the time, but I've yet to see a regular shirt and authentic matching baseball pants. This is so funny. Well, this is also, I mean, you can, you've probably told this story on the podcast before, but baseball pants aren't necessarily as uh, welcomed in everyday society and office culture as even a jersey would be on maybe a casual Friday. So that would be the first challenge. But also, you got to think about it practically. Why would people, like you'd have to market them as comfortable. You'd have to be marketing them as this is a thing, like along the lines of why baseball players now are only wearing Lululemon pants all all the time, right? Like you'd have to get, that's your only chance because style, I don't think, is going to get through to be like, those look great. I would love to see a picture of Kanye at like Paris Fashion Week mm-hmm. in like a button down fancy shirt and like some pinstripe baseball pants. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how it starts. You know, you that's need true. like a fashion person to just rock some some short baseball pants. As you said, again, this is Paris Paris Fashion Week. So <laughs> thank you to Nicholas for the report well, on the ground in France. Last thing I will say is in high school, I did often wear a baseball belt with jeans. Wow. That was a thing I did a lot. Yeah. Because you didn't own other belts? Yeah. Yeah. Like I had 12 baseball belts because I played on like eight teams, you know, but I just didn't own like a leather belt. So I would wear like a crappy Models baseball belt with jeans all the time. Oh, got to go to Moe's. All right. Back to you, Jake. Your turn to ask a question. Last night, the Tampa Bay Rays lost 20 to 1. The Blue Jays pummeled them in Tampa at the trap into submission 20 to 1. Wow. How many runs last night would the Rays have had to allow for you to reconsider how you feel about the 2023 Rays? The Rays, who have been the best team in baseball, historically great. They have crushed the crap out of everybody. Their run differential this morning is no longer the best in the league. They after last night, we're passed by the Texas Rangers of all freaking teams. Do How many runs would they have had to allow last night for you to feel differently about the race? Well, this is relevant to the question I was about to ask you, but I'll, I'll save that for a second. Uh, there's no number if they just cycled, continue to cycle through position players giving up home runs, which is related to my question for you. Because when I look at the box score, I see that the actual pitchers, Taj Bradley, and Zach Birdie, Kevin Kelly, and Colin Pochet allowed 10 runs. Bad. Not good. Bad outing, right? Normal. How many would the Rays pitchers need to allow? 30, probably, (laughs) for me to think there's something seriously wrong. But, like, Luke Rayleigh and Christian Bethencourt giving up 10 runs does not, I'm sorry, that's not going to swing how I feel about it. But I think that's also, I mean, what's your answer? I mean, I think that's a pretty fair <laughs> fair stance. I know you've been more skeptical on the Rays than I've been, but where, where are you at on it? 
Yeah, I think 30 is fair. But like like the pitchers, the pitchers allow yeah. 30. And that's the thing when the Orioles allowed 30 runs to Texas way back when, they were all there were no position players pitching. It was all <laughs> professional pitchers. My question for you is position player pitching related, which we may have I may have asked this before. We may have had this conversation. But my question to you is if you were a position player, as a position player, you're Luke Rayleigh, whatever, what is your strategy? If you were saying, hey, man, we need someone to come in, and, like, what, how are you handling the situation? Because what we saw with Luke Rayleigh is basically the worst possible outcome, which is that you're not throwing slow enough to where they're like off balance and it looks goofy. You're throwing, you know, Ephesus in there, but you're not throwing fast enough to where you're remotely competitive which means they're throwing batting practice, which means they are literally going to tee off to the exact degree that they would in batting practice. What would your strategy be, either from an entertainment standpoint or from an I-need-to-get-outs-to-end-this-ballgame standpoint? Variety for both. Variety. I would have to mix speeds, spots, arm angles, wind-ups, motions, pacing. Like I want to make them feel as uncomfortable as possible. And you'll see certain pitchers do this, right? Marcus Stroman, Johnny Cueto, be a bad dance partner. That's a thing. They're doing it in a much more subtle way to make the hitter uncomfortable and to mess up their timing. If I was a position player pitching coming in, I would go all the way to the extreme. So I would like lob one in and then I would throw one as hard as I could. I would throw one over the top and then I would be a submariner. Mm-hmm. I would lift my leg for 10 seconds and then wait and hold it there and pitch. And then I would, you know, do a slide step. Like I would want to be as different pitch to pitch as possible because what, what happens like Luke Rayleigh last night is just throwing BP. It's so predictable. You're not going to beat professional hitters with your stuff. Duh. But you can fool them enough with variety. I agree. The challenge there with with your strategy, and this sometimes happens anyway, is no matter what you think of position players pitching, when they throw multiple balls in a row, no one's having a good time. And if you if you could command all these different wacky deliveries and ensure that it was getting in the strike zone and was, I agree that you are probably more likely to record the three outs necessary. But if it's if you're just spraying it, now we're having some trouble. But I do agree with you. Like you said, it needs to be variety. Throwing it over at exactly 50 miles an hour every single time, yeah, you're going to give up eight hits and seven runs and two homers. So that's not surprising whatsoever. You do need to mix it up. What was most disappointing to me about that outing last night is that they eventually had to turn to Christian Bethancourt, who throws hard, but he's not going to throw hard in that situation. So he was also throwing it, uh, you know, 60 miles an hour, which was very, very, very uninteresting. But nice little win for the Blue Jays there. I will now jump ahead to an email question. This is from Brad H. Brad H. Uh, Very long, uh, kind email about our friend Pedro Mora, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. But he adds a question at the bottom. Do you have a favorite ballpark promo giveaway that you can remember seeing? And what qualities do you think make a perfect promo in the name of Gio Gonzalez, Brad? Brad H., do we know if this is Brad Hand or Brad Hop? Who's more likely to be emailing us right now? Let us know which Brad you are, which Rockies Brad H. you are. Uh, this is a good question. I, I really like the, in terms of the perfect promo that I've seen, it's interesting because certain teams, I guess we should talk about what category of giveaway. 
we're talking about giveaway, right? We're not talking yeah. about promo, like minor league promo. Night. We're talking about like first 10,000 fans get X, right? I think that's what we're talking about here. Now, the obvious answers are, are bobbleheads, right? Like that's, that's an easy thing. And bobbleheads are cool because you can get very creative with what they look like and the theme and whatever. And like, those are a fun thing, as you see with both of our backgrounds on, on our on our, on our video is we, we like bobbleheads. Like, duh, that's, that's kind of a layup. I'm curious to you, like, what makes a good promo giveaway that's not a bobblehead or is bobblehead the, the correct answer? So I love a shirt that's going to age well. Hmm. So I have a shirt, like a clip and save shirt from when Matt Caps and Tyler Clippard were both great on the Nationals. Like, that's a great giveaway. That's a, I don't know if it's a perfect one, but that's certainly a great one. I want something a little odd. I want something also that can be useful, right? You do see these, they often give away useful items. So it'll be like mini backpack, courtesy of Toyota, mm -hmm. right? That I'm, eh, that's just unimaginative, right? Mm -hmm. I think too, I think the clip and save example is perfect because I think that something that is very in the moment is more likely to age better because you will look, instead of just something of good player on the team, like duh, like it's not like you're going to forget that they're on the team, but something, a piece of memorabilia that might sit on your desk or might end up in some drawer somewhere. And then when you put it like, oh yes. Like the 2010 Nationals, like, oh my God, like that is, was so, so iconic. Like that, it takes you back to a very specific moment, I think is, is a great, a great theme. Uh, like, I mean, again, I, I mean, I have all kinds of bobbleheads here, right? I mean, I've got the King Felix one behind me. I've got, but like so the Mariners, do you remember when we went to, to, to then Safeco and they showed us the closet of all the giveaways? Oh my God. That is, that is one of the greatest experiences we've ever had. I got to, I, I think that's when I got the Ack Attack train, but like, that's a great example of like, why is it a train? I don't know. But it's, but it's something it's like, oh great. Dustin, Dustin Ackley train. Sure. So something that comes to mind for a great giveaway is the Orioles. Are, are, are you aware of their bucket hat giveaway, their annual floppy hat? Mm -hmm. They do this every year and they like they set, they pack the place. Even when the Orioles were terrible, floppy hat giveaway night is an event at Camden Yards. And this year, I don't know if they've done this in the past, but they're backing up the floppy hat day with the Hawaiian shirt day. Oh, what a, back that's a one-two punch if I've ever <laughs> So you're going to have people showing up to the second of the two days with the floppy hat from yesterday and the, I believe they're actually called Aloha shirts, the Aloha shirts from the second day, which right. is an incredible combo. So that's good. I like when the comp, when the promos kind of back up onto one another. All right, Jordan, let's do one more for me, one more from you and one more email and we will move on and take a break. There is a picture that came out yesterday of Shohei Otani eating a bag of Funyuns. And my question to you, what is Shohei Otani's relationship with Funyuns? Is he actually a Funyun enjoyer regularly? Was this given to him by a clubby? Did he go to a CVS or like a Walgreens and select this himself? What is Shohei's relationship with Funyuns? My understanding is that this photo was taken by Patrick Sandoval. It looks like I mean, it almost looks like a Polaroid. Like the stylized the style on it is is very interesting. It appears that uh, Shohei is on a bus, in what I assume is either 
do we think it's post game or pre game? I'm assuming it's post game. Post game. Post game. So that does paint a picture of what I think happened here, which is that in clubhouses they have snacks. Now Funyuns would not necessarily be something that I expected to be available in a clubhouse as far as snacks go. This is something that if you hear very commonly, people who played 10 or 20 years ago will say, yeah, there's a big difference between what was available in the clubhouse now than, you know, 10, 20 years ago when we were smoking cigarettes and drinking beers and no one had knew, gave a shit about nutrition whatsoever. So not that Funyuns are the worst thing in the world for anybody to eat, but it would surprise me a little bit if they were readily available. At the same time, that's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing they finish a game, they're in some clubhouse somewhere with a home or, or away, and Shohei is just grabbing a snack for the road on his way out, and he grabbed Funyuns. You say, did he go to CVS to pick it up? That is not what I think happened. Is there a chance that he did, you know, does love Funyuns? I, I mean, yeah, I think that that's possible. He probably chose it over some other options. I don't think there were only Funyuns available. It does seem like he did choose them. But my favorite thing about this is, is right, like the, the cultural impact of Shohei with anything is, is a big deal. I mean, like, is this, we talk about, like, think about the the reverse of this, of, like, how Lars Newtbar is now just, like, on everything in Japan and sponsoring all these random, you know, Japanese energy drinks and snack bars and whatever. Otani being pictured next to anything is, is a big deal, whether he meant it or not. Two takeaways, and then we will move on to you. His hands are fucking huge, man. Like the side, look at him. He can't fit his hand in the Funyun bag. He's got like a finger on the outside of the Funyun. He can't get his enormous Shohei hand inside the Funyun bag, which is just awesome. And the second thing is that we joke about often how Shohei in our industry is like a walking page view, right? If you write Shohei, like you could... So much of the industry now like revolves around clicks. Duh. That's how it goes. That's where we live in a capitalist society, right? Mm-hmm. And no one drives page views right now like Shohei. And so we joke like, oh, man, the guy could take a fart and like it would do numbers. And this is a great example because we just spent five minutes talking about him eating Funyuns and it's news. And it's funny because it, it it's true. It, it's also one of those things where it's... I mean, he's superhuman, right? So it is a it is a moment of humility, a moment of human nature. Oh, Jake disagrees. No, it's like, oh yeah, I've never had a Funyun. Oh my goodness. Okay, I probably haven't had a Funyun in a couple of years, but Funyuns are like if you they they're good. They're good. This is not an accident that show he picked them up. But I just wanted to say, like again, like just seeing him, it's such a basic thing. To your point, of course, this is not news, but like when everything about him is so perfectly controlled and he is a very like in some ways relatable normal guy because he is he's always smiling he does he seems to take all of his incredible achievements with such just grace and just like yeah of course i did that oh i just swung it badly and missed a smile like i'll, I'll at a slider i'll smile and laugh and get back in the box and hit a home run and then go back to throwing 100 miles an hour like he is very relatable from a when you just watch him but again everything else about him is so hard to fathom. And so when you just see him sitting on a bus eating Funyuns, it's like, oh yeah, I've, I've sat on a bus and ate Funyuns. But it sounds like you haven't. That's kind of shocking. Guess, so wait, now, now, admittedly, right? Now you're kind of more likely to go try Funyuns, right? Right? I think the picture of Shohei eating Funyuns will bring me to eat a Funyun, yeah. 
So it worked, even if it was not on purpose. So congrats to Funyuns on all the free advertising, not just on this podcast. All right, Jake, I'm going to change the topic a lot here. Yeah, go- you, you don't you don't have like a question of like Acuna eating bugles? I would love to. I mean, <laughs> if 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 we now just have a barrage of players on buses eating random snacks, like sign me up. That I will not get tired of those photos. To be least clear. likely combo, Sean Murphy eating takis. Okay, go. Uh, yeah, maybe. All right, let's. <laughs> my question to you is based off of an experience I had last night. I attended Cardinals Reds. I watched Adam Wainwright grit his way through five innings. And after the game, Adam Wainwright talked about how much he hates Great American Ballpark. Now, he was in a good mood because they ended up winning, but his outing was very, you know, he would he was throwing, again, when it's Adam Wainwright, it's not, it doesn't look like he's blowing anybody away, but he was pitching pretty well, and then it would be like, bloop, double, okay, run, right? And the line did not look great. But over the last, like, five years, his ERA in Cincinnati is like 15. And coming into it, like it's, it's known that Adam Wainwright hates pitching there. And so, but because they won and because he was in a jovial mood, he was literally spent 10 minutes. He referred to it as the devil's lair. He talked about how the mound is like completely not like any other mound <laughs> in baseball. And so my question to you kind of combined is in your baseball career, Jake, what is your version of that? And what is the weirdest mound that you have pitched on in your in your recollection? So as a mediocre baseball player, you don't get to play in enough places. I, I know, I know, I know. So where it's, you it's develop a little... hatred, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas Adam Wainwright is the opposite. He surely has pitched yeah. in all of the places and has identified Cincinnati as a as a particularly unpleasant experience, which is very funny. Of course, he's talking in some part about it is a hitter's ballpark. It is not necessarily an easy place to pitch, but he feels that he has had especially poor luck. And it was it was very, very funny listening to him talk about it. So in terms of a mound, I mean, it's Central Park because some of the mounds in Central Park are just not mounds. Like it's just a rubber. It's like a softball field. It's flat. Right. And then some of them are enormous like, and they're all made of sand and not real clay. And so Central Park is the easy answer. If you can pitch in Central Park on those mounds, you can pitch anywhere in the world, as evidenced by the success of Shlomo Lippitz. I would say you hear players talk about this. I remember Carlos Rodon once said to me, like, yeah, dude, like the mound at City Field is so low. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's not true. I don't believe you. And if it's different, it's like maybe an inch. And you don't feel that. And if it was low, Carlos, it would be better for you because that's how pitching works now with fastballs. Get my point, right? Sure. And so like, but players do at least believe that there are differences in these mounds. Now, I think Wainwright's hatred of Cincinnati has to do with the fact that it is a band box. And if you get the ball in the air, it leaves the yard. And so yeah. it has nothing to do with the mound. Sorry, Adam. Well, he, I mean, he went for like five minutes trying to describe the very specific why the mound is different. And I'm not going to try and recount that in particular, but that did, it did stand out to me because while I do generally agree with you that people complaining about the mound does feel like a very stupid thing. I, I do often think about that as a place that we, as a, as a fan, like we just cannot necessarily tell on TV. And if you're Adam Wainwright and you've made a bajillion starts on every ballpark, 
I mean, I trust him more than some rookie coming up and being like, this mound's weird, right? So <laughs> that it carried a little bit more weight with me. But uh, I, I just thought it was it was very funny. So at Wainwright, is, is, he is delightful. All right, let's uh, do one more email and then we'll take a break. Quick email from Greg. He says, hey, guys, would love to know what your typical baseball media diet is as people who love it but cover ball. What is a baseball media day in your life on a day you're not at the park covering the game? Are you waking up to box scores, condensed games, MLB network podcasts, how you view and bop around sites between games once they're on, sites you view every day, all of it. Appreciate you being a multiplier for my baseball fandom and steady in my baseball media diet. Thanks, Greg. Yes, I would listen to us. Um, I do not really listen to Major League Baseball podcasts, I will admit. I will listen to Effectively Wild every once in a while. And I think before I got into doing this every day, I listened to them a lot more. There's just something about listening to a baseball podcast regularly when you do a baseball podcast that just like it's like I just did this. Like I did this. You know, there are other smart people in our industry. I'm not trying to say that there aren't, but like I do this three days a week. I don't need to listen to more baseball podcasts. I'm fine. I listen to Jordan. That's the yeah. Baseball no, podcast I, I, I agree. And I think that's changed even more now that we've switched to two and then three times a week. Um, earlier in our baseball podcasting careers, I was listening to a lot of other baseball podcasts and there are other good ones out there, but we, you know, of course we appreciate the ones, a lot of people listen to multiple, right? So listen to us, listen to others. So podcast, I agree. That's not necessarily one. So, so yeah, what is, especially when you're not at the yard, right? Like what, what do you, what are the, what are the mainstays for you every day? Condensed games, which was mentioned in this email, condensed games on YouTube, I go to YouTube, shouts out to YouTube, free promo. Uh, I go to YouTube and I watch the condensed games for any relevant, meaningful teams. I usually watch about, on a given night, there are 15, right? So I'll probably watch about eight to 10 of them while I'm having coffee, while I'm writing, while I'm cleaning up uh, my apartment. Like I just have a lot of condensed games on all the time. That's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. I do, I check fan graphs every morning. I check the athletic every morning. I check what me and my colleagues at Fox are writing every morning. Those are the things that I do every day. Um, I don't think, oh, and I go, I guess I go to MLB.com's homepage every morning. Mm -hmm. Those are the big ones for me. Yeah, I would say you're hitting most of the ones I was going to mention. The one tool that I definitely use basically every day is the StatCast game feed page not just for individual games but the the home page for game feeds which basically shows you the leaders and exit velo swing and miss for the entire day not just for a single game is a great way to just have that up over the course of a night and you won't miss stuff now the other thing i just wanted to bring this up now because this is something i've been meaning to bring up with you for a while which is the home run notifications because this is a big part of our Twitter experience and how we follow games. Because for a long time, there was an account called MLBHR that tweeted out all the home runs. And we know that they still do, but they have chosen to add on additional things involving gambling that we do not care about. And so we were like, we can't follow this one anymore. And so we have switched, right? We have switched to the at MLBHR videos. And how are you feeling about that? Because I have some other thoughts, but I just want to know how you're feeling about this. Because this is, again, it's kind of ludicrous, especially earlier when, especially in 17, 18, 19, to have literally every home run sent to your phone. But to me, I've enjoyed it because, again, it always gives, first of all, it's just like an immediate, okay, I need to go watch that. And, oh, my God, that guy has X number of home runs. You're always in touch with that. 
Uh, but also now it's not quite as good. So where are you at with that? Because I have a couple thoughts. Uh, yeah, it was very fundamental to my baseball watching experience and MLB HR adding like plus 300 odds. Like, should it ruin the entire experience of that account? No. Does it? Yes. Sorry, I'm a feeble-minded man. I don't know anything about like said again. We're not. We don't. We not. Don't know anything about this. Why are they telling you the odds after it happened? If you, if you, it's like what? It's I can't go back. If it was whatever. If if you know Luke Rayleigh or freaking Taylor Walls was plus bajillion to hit a home run, and he just hit a home run, and now you're telling me that why I can't go back and bet on it? It had already happened. I have to say the fall of this account from grace. Coupled with Reese Hoskins' unfortunate season-ending injury, very convenient for me because that's how I do the congrats on the Homer Dude tweets. Yes, and true. I've not had to worry about that, unfortunately, this season. So, yeah, that has definitely changed the way that I consume games while they're on. Yeah, but that's just another one that, that stands out. But I would say, yes, the game feed and then everything else that Jake says. I'm not saying I don't probably don't watch condensed games. And also, like, I will also admit, like, we don't have cable. I mean, I guess I can watch MLB Network if I really want to, but I don't necessarily have that on all the time. The most I'm watching that is when I'm in a clubhouse and it's on the TV, on the TV, right? Like I'm not really going out of my way to watch the network. Uh, but but yeah, that's and it's sort of changed over time. I used to go back and watch like night of and go back and watch the highlights every day, but it's more more of a next day situation because we're watching so much over the course of the evening. I do check box scores every night before I go to bed. That is pretty consistent for me as yes. well. All right, yes. Jordan, let's let's take a quick break and we will be back with, I think, the dumbest question I've ever thought of. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is finally here. And we are bringing you all the content you could ever want to prepare you for the most exciting day in motor racing. Seriously, who would be better to get you ready for the race than a guy who won it as a rookie? Me. And another guy who raced against Ray Haroon in the very first Indy 500 in 1911. Okay, okay, I'm not quite that old. Anyway, listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. We teased it before the break, Jordan. Here is a dumb question from me to you. You ready? I'm ready. What if every baseball team in their dugout had a full Gatorade cooler of 2% milk? And that Gatorade cooler of 2% milk had to be consumed in its entirety during the course of a game, and if it is not consumed during the course of a game, that team has three runs taken away from its total. Mm, this is how a great does question. this how does this change the sport? It's crazy. I was just thinking the same thing earlier um, this morning. <laughs> um, so, uh, I before I ask how you or why you came up with this, is a Gatorade cooler of milk that much milk for 30 people plus to consume over two and a half hours so the milk can only be consumed by players on the active roster okay okay you cannot get like your bench coach or someone on the il to just take it correct okay Okay, so people, but, you know, you could still use people that are on the bench, but then you're likely compromising their availability 
later in the game. So that's the first question is what's the strategy, right? Now, obviously, the first thing you're taking consider into consideration is there's a decent chance you have some lactose intolerance on the roster, right? So you're already probably canceling out a couple people on the team because it's just not worth it. And you're certainly about to. Yeah. To me, like, if this was every game, like, there would be consequences over the course of a week, particularly, particularly, like, sometimes teams played nine days in a row. Like, there wouldn't really be necessarily a break. But, like, in one game, I think teams could handle this. I do wonder what the problem would be. I mean, do you, like, I, I don't know, what's your milk intake? Like, I don't, I don't really drink milk that often. It's not really my preferred uh, you know, breakfast of choice. But what, what, do you, what do you, where are you at with milk? I'm a big milk guy. Grew up on milk. Always loved milk. Okay. My sister, as a kid, was allergic to milk, and so mm-hmm. I loved it even more because you know that's how siblinghood works. Mm-hmm. I, I have recently, uh, over the last year or so, switched to oat. Okay, uh, we are oat milk people here in this home, uh, and I drink it every morning with my bran flakes. That is a routine I have. I eat my bran flakes with oat milk and a couple of berries in there. Um, shouts out to the big berry. Uh, I, the other thing to consider, okay, let, let, let's say once a week, once a week, every team has a game against the other team. They're also on milk watch where you have to do milk. You have to do the milk <laughs> once a week. Got to. I think you have a DM a, or DD, a designated drinker, <laughs> a designated milk consumption expert, someone on your roster whose entire job is to drink as much milk as possible. Do they play? Maybe. But their priority is milk consumption. I mean, what is... Is any amount of milk during a game just the worst possible thing? I mean, it's not certainly not a... You wouldn't be your first choice. There's a reason it hasn't been in Gatorade coolers to begin with. A day game would be tough. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's... Yeah, that's also true. I mean, the other question here is like, can you put the milk in cereal? You can, so like however you want. It just okay. So it just it just you have to. It's same way. It's hot dogs and buns. However <laughs> you want to consume hot dogs. If you want to dunk them in water, dunk them in lemonade. That's fine. But it just you need the milk needs to be consumed. Is Joey Chestnut a big leaguer in this world? <laughs> I have no idea. So I'm sure that milk drinking is a competition. I have no doubt that that is in the competitive eating space. I don't know Joey Chestnut's particular experience in that competition. But if so, like, again, but again, is that worth a roster spot to save everyone else from the milk? I don't even have a great sense for how often teams go through entire Gatorade coolers over the course of one game. Like I, I don't, that's, that's, that would be the thing that I would, I would love to know that before I commit to, is it easy to finish it over the course of a game? And by the way, pitch clock's a big part of this conversation. Like we've already lopped off half an hour where we can finish up the milk. And so that's also going to make it more challenging. Uh, and that's the, the other thing to think again, about, like, like if you're up by 10 runs, you just let that just let let the milk sit. You're, you're <laughs> That's good. true. That's true. It would definitely impact bullpen management, right? Because if you have a certain lead and you are going to lose three runs, depending on you, like you are, you're managing to the milk. You talk about you manage to the score, <laughs> but the other problem is like the cooler is not open in the bullpen. 
Oh, that's also true. Oh, that's a good, that's another good point. Is that half of your active roster is in the bullpen? Um, so you you actually really don't have that many. So it's really just the bench and the and the position players. And I guess the starters are on the active roster for the game. So, but I mean, do you want to risk that? Do you want to have your guy that's probably not the guy that's starting tomorrow? Uh, you want to be drinking any milk? I I don't know. This is interesting. I also am curious how this changes with milk. Is definitely maybe the funniest version of this, but I am curious how other fluids, fluids, liquids, beverages would make it make a difference. I googled competitive milk drinking, mm-hmm. and the second thing I see is an article from like a local news station. Joey Chestnut chugs gallon of milk in thirteen seconds. So there you go, I, yeah. big leaguer. <laughs> How much is it? Is it cooler? How many gallons is that? I don't know. Let us know. Okay. All right. Uh, my question, my uh, question to you is not about milk in a cooler. This is a very simple one and maybe an easy answer, but I think it's testing your particular uh, loyalty. So I thought it was an interesting one. On the morning of May 24th, there are two teams with a 22 and 26 record. Those are the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres who were in the National League Championship Series just less than a year ago. And both of these teams have scuffled for different reasons. The Padres are eight back in their division. The Phillies are seven back in their division. And my question to you is, Jake, which of these teams is more likely to make the postseason? Now, Fangraphs has very feels very strongly in one direction. But before you look at that, how do you feel? about these two teams who are, after being in the NLCS, are 22 and 26 on May 24th. So I think the way to do this is really who is ahead of them, just as much as how much I believe in the team, right? And so right now the Phillies have the Marlins and the Mets and the Braves ahead of them. The Padres have the Giants and the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers ahead of them. Which of those is more concerning? I think it's pretty close, right? Like the Mets are the best of those four teams, And then probably the Diamondbacks, then the Giants, and then the Marlins. That's probably how I'd feel about them, right? Mm -hmm. So looking at this and the path ahead, I probably feel better about the – wow. I feel better about the Padres and the Phillies, I think, right now, even though I have Phillies bias. And that's just because the things that have gone so wrong for the Padres are unexpected and I think a little fluky where – Their offense has just been terrible. Their pitching has been fine, but their offense has just been so bad. And I trust that it will get going. Whereas like the Phillies flaws of their pitching being underwhelming, that was the concern heading into the season. And so because of that, I feel a little bit less good about the Phillies. Yeah, I think I agree with you, but it will be interesting to see if those are two teams desperately trying to get like the third wildcard spot. I mean, I, I like to think that one of them will make it a little bit more comfortable by the end of the season, but just seeing those two teams at, at 22 and 26 definitely stood out. Well, it's also important. Okay. So who are the three teams in the wildcard spots right now? Mm-hmm. L- let me just back up one second. I don't think either of these teams will win the division now. Like I think the Braves and the Dodgers, like a lot could happen, but I feel good about the Braves and the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So who's ahead of them right now in the wild card? The Diamondbacks, the Pirates, and the Mets have the three spots. I think the Mets are real. I think they'll get a wild card spot, right? The Pirates, I would be shocked if they make the postseason at this point, right? Shocked. I think the Diamondbacks are pretty good, okay? The other teams ahead of them are the Giants and the Marlins, okay? So it's like, I guess the Cardinals are down there waiting, but it's like there really isn't a whole lot here that I'm like, they're definitely better than the Phillies and the Padres. Mm Mm-hmm. 
No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, right? I, I don't think they're super doomed, right? Two and a half out in the wild card, but it has certainly not been pretty. And we've had so many of these disappointing teams that have kind of distracted from each other to where like each week we've kind of zoned in on one. You know, of course, it was the White Sox first, and then it was certainly St. Louis, and then it was San Diego. And I, I feel like the Phillies haven't fully gotten that treatment yet. Uh, but, you know, that's there, there will be time. I know Phillies fans feel that way, I'm sure. But on the national standpoint, I, I feel like we haven't fully uh, recognized the struggles that they've had so far. But there you go. That's a good one. All right, let's go to another email. What does Fangraphs think? Fangraphs is like Padres are, are fine. Like we're not worried about uh, the, the Padres. Fangraphs says Padres still, sti- this seems crazy, still with the highest percentage chance uh, to make to, to win the, the wild card of any team uh, in the National League that's not currently a division leader. As it is the Padres at 58% and the, uh, which includes 10% division odds, which seems ridiculous. Phillies at 34%. So uh, that's pretty sizable. But yeah, it has the Phillies behind St. Louis, San Francisco, Arizona, New York. So Phillies a little bit more pessimistic there. So I think they are in line with your projections. Let us move on to another email. Which one would you like to do next? I want to do this one from Luke. Can we do this one from Luke? Yes. Luke says, Hey, Jake and Jordan. Huge long-term fan and occasional spotter of Jake around Uptown Manhattan. Hey, Luke, say hi. Like, I do live Uptown Manhattan. (laughs) I appreciate that. What does that even mean? Spotter? Oh, man. Jake is like a wild Pokemon. It's like, oh, there there he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just say say hi man just say hi been listening to the show for ages and i've always meant to send in this question i feel like there are a ton of little gestures and celebrations in baseball that are pretty christian like finger up to heaven or kissing a cross necklace or prayer hands but i've never seen a distinctly jewish one what would the jewish version of those look like could we see jock peterson pretending to touch a mezuzah as he's about to step on home plate what would be a distinctively Jewish celebration? Yours in Jewish baseball fandom, Luke. My first thought here, Luke is a distinctly un-Jewish name, okay? I do not, I, Jordan and I know so many freaking Jews having both gone to Jewish school and like synagogue and like, I live in New York yeah. Um, and I don't know a Jewish Luke. So yeah. Luke, if you're Jewish, that's awesome. If you're not and you're just into this, Cool as well. That's even more awesome. Yeah, maybe this is like a, uh, you know, uh, dad Jewish or not dad, not Jewish, whatever. Um, great point. Great question. And yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. You know, drawing crosses uh, before you go into, you know, drawing in the dirt and all kinds of stuff. Okay, great. So the first answer I have to say is I, we have seen this. You maybe do not remember this, but we received a DM from a Division three baseball player named Nate Jacobs at Pomona Pitzer last year, uh, one of their best players. And he delivered, and you can see the video of this in our DMs, of a Star of David double celebration, where he basically like like kind of draws out the Star of David, you know, and, and throws it back to the dugout when he gets to second base. So I have seen that again in D3, right? Okay, so it's a little, it's obviously it's a little hard to follow because of <laughs> the It's like the Disney the Channel... The Disney right. Channel ears. Right. That's a great, that's a great comp. So, but I'm thinking, I mean, I here's the thing, Jake. How how nitty-gritty do we want to go here? Because we can make some really, really good jokes in terms of gestures, gestures or like, you know, movements that you would see over the course 
of a service of a service on on Sabbath morning. Uh, but what what comes to mind for you? So the first thing I want to say is that the level of observance among Jewish big leaguers compared to Christian big leaguers, there is a large gap. Okay, there are many, many, many Christian major league baseball players who really believe in the the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. Like, that's just a fact. Like, yep. whether it's, uh, you know, Bible verse in the Twitter bio or whatever, like these guys are in. There are very, very few Jewish big leaguers for whom, like, their, like, observance, their religiousness is a big part of their identity in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think that is it operates more on a cultural level. But even so, it's just less. It's just like less of a thing. And I think that's part of why we don't see Garrett Stubbs kissing mezuzah when he touches home plate or Jock Peterson. Right. I think that's just certainly an important not thing Jock to Peterson. Know. <laughs> certainly not Jock Peterson. That's just an important thing to note. Right. Um, the obvious one for me, and I did this uh, once or twice in college, would be I'll throw up a triangle and you mm. throw up the inverted triangle. Oh, and we so touch it's like a them team. together. I like, like a Jewish that. star. That's yeah. more of like a group celebration. I like that. And you had enough, you know, fellow MOTs on your team to where it was much easier to kind of work in tandem. We had four Jewish All-Americans. Mm-hmm. That's big time. But yeah, I mean, to me, again, we, we won't go too too deep onto this, but there's a lot of movements that happen over the course of a service that I could imagine you kind of incorporating into a celebration, (laughs) whether it's, you know, we're going towards, you know, we're facing the Western wall, whether it's, you know, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Three steps back, three steps forward for all eight. So again, you might, some of them would be more subtle, but again, there's definitely ones that you would recognize. I think double celebrations are definitely the place to do them, I would say. Um, But again, you have to make sure you call time because we don't want to get called out you know, coming off the base, you know, stepping three steps back to three steps forward. You get on second base, you do the swirling the chicken motion over your head, you know? (laughs) I mean, we could do some like Lulav and Etrog style stuff. I think that would be maybe good as like a home run prop. I like that. (laughs) So yeah, again, we could, we could go, we could go all day long, maybe some sort of Havdalah, I don't... Anyway, okay, all right, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you've heard us go. But this is a great question, Luke. Please follow up with uh, with your ideas, especially if you are indeed a Jewish Luke. All right, Jake, let's finish with one more question from everybody. I think I know how you're going to answer this, so I have a backup question. Okay. Do you want to talk about Zach Hampel? Um, I, I will talk about Zach Hampel, sure. Okay. That was, all, <laughs> that was really my to? question. That was my question. No. <laughs> Will I? Yes. Okay, so then we don't have to because the question was, do you <laughs> no, no, want to talk I'm about that? I'm not saying I, this is a good example of, of like the English language being a little bit, do I, am I actively avoiding it? No. Would I choose? Would it be like my choice? Would I put it on here on purpose? I am willing to, it is relevant again. So do you have a further question about Mr. No, Hampel? no. Okay. okay. Then no, I don't want to talk about him. My okay. question to you is is um, is uh, is simple because I think some people are wondering uh, the Orioles. Ever heard of them? Yeah. Uh, despite their mildly embarrassing loss last night, they was that more or less embarrassing than their City Connect jerseys? Oh, just kidding. I don't care that much. 
people feel all, all kinds of ways about City Connect jerseys. We talk about them sometimes. We talk about them. We don't talk about them other times. You're an Orioles fan. Again, we just talked about the Mariners ones. I didn't even really say anything about how I feel about those. I think they're kind of cool or whatever. Uh, what do you think? Uh, people were dunking on the Orioles. It seems like the leak didn't include the colorful sleeve trim. Does that salvage it for you or do you not care like I don't care? So the the leak came out and I tweeted something along the lines of, if this is actually the uniform, this is like the most embarrassing, underwhelming thing it could ever be. Because the uniform is a black jersey with Baltimore in white across the chest, a white belt and black pants with a very colorful inside trim. Okay. The inside of the uniform is like patterned and very bright and um, uh, effervescent even. And so it is a very interesting zigzag from the other uniforms, which are outwardly kind of gauche and bright and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It is so much better than what I thought it was going to be when I first saw the leak. I think that's important to note. They look pretty cool on the players. I think the script B on the hat with the black hat is actually pretty cool. However, and, oh, and, and one more thing. I think the video they dropped and the idea behind these jerseys are really cool in that, like, you have an assumption of the city of Baltimore, but if you look deeper beneath it, there is something beautiful uh, and, you know, uh, about the city. And I think that that is a cool idea and a different way to do it than, like, LOL bright colors, right? Mm -hmm. However, that's not how clothes work. The inside of what you're wearing cannot really be seen by people on the outside. Suit linings. People are always like, that is a great suit lining. I'm like, you, who fucking cares? It's a suit lining. You don't see the inside of a suit lining. And I guess that the inside of this jersey will peek out from time to time and you will be reminded of it and that will be cool. But I think that it, it's a really interesting idea that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. I wanted to know what you're... I'm most interested in the take on the you can't clip these wings. Love it. Tagline. Love it. Which I don't know if any of the... I guess some of these have sort of come with taglines, but like it's like they're really leaning into it. Having it on the jersey. I love the the B, by the way. I think the B looks great. But... uh that is great too. It's like almost, it's like so cheesy, but also just hits. <laughs> can't get, you can't clip them. Yeah. So I love that. Um, that's great. Anyway. They're not as bad as I thought. They're, like I really was worried. And I, I think that they are outwardly uninspiring, but once you know about them, they're cool. And I think they will not hit with the MLB fans at large. They'll see them and be like, these are boring. But I do think that people in Baltimore will love these and they will be meaningful and they will buy them. Yep. I think that is a fair assessment. All right, let's finish with one more email. Who would you like to close us out with before we say goodbye? A couple more good options. Again, you can email us baseballbarbacast at gmail.com uh, and keep those coming. This won't be the last email episode we do, but we do want to wrap it up here soon. So let's pick one more. We'll do Maddie. Great. Okay. Maddie said, hello there. Every morning I walk my dog in a conservation park in New Hampshire. I hope you live there. Otherwise, that's a commute. And since spring has sprung, I see at least one Blue Jay, one Cardinal, and one Oriole every day. 
Not every day, because that'd be spooky, but I would say the majority of them. Of course, I decided the logical thing to do would be to keep an eye on which bird I see first every day and see if that coordinated to which bird teams won that night. So far, there's been, sadly, very little correlation. My two questions are, if the birds are trying to tell me something about their respective MLB teams, what is it? Two, are we missing out on any Groundhog Day-type superstitions when it comes to the teams that have nature or animal counterparts? For instance, the Marlins jumping in the sky means they will win, or the number of Diamondbacks that bite people every year correlates to their place in the draft order. Excited to see what y'all think of this. Sincerely, Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. Great question. I do like right thinking about this as like some sort of event that they could organize before the season or at some point during the season. So let's review what our options are for this, right? Because we're going to focus on the animal teams. Here are the animal teams. The Jays, the O's, the Rays, who are now like a beam of light also. But it's but as long as they have a Ray tank in the outfield, clearly they're still associating with the, with the, <laughs> with the fishy creature. Tigers, Marlins... Cardinals, Diamondbacks, Cubs, and then the Angels for me. <laughs> okay, sure. You could explain that after. I think in terms of most realistic to organ first of all, I think team-wise, like like franchise-wise, that I think would be most likely to try and do something like this. I think it's the Marlins pretty comfortably. I can't really see the Cardinals doing something like this like this just doesn't really seem like it's up their alley maybe the d-backs and the cubs maybe but again these are harder things to work with i think there is big potential with the marlins they're always trying to do interesting things to get people's attention in any sort of way and i think this would maybe be a way to do that but i think the key would be you would need you know like for referencing groundhog day you would need a a very specific Marlin. You, I couldn't just be any Marlin, right? You would need to have, you need to build around a specific character, which again, if you're applying that to other, to these other ones is also sort of challenging when, as you mentioned, there are hundreds of thousands and millions of Blue Jays and Orioles and Cardinals. So picking that one individual one might be a little bit harder. In my mind, I see this more as a promo. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm the Orioles, I am going and I am buying, if you can do this, 100,000 actual Oriole birds. And the day before opening day, mm. I am releasing them in various parts of Baltimore. And so when you're out in the world before opening day and you like, cause Jordan, you know, you, I see a Baltimore or I see an Oriole bird in the world. I'm like, go O's. Fires you, know? you up. Right. Fires you, me like, up. you tip your cap and they give you a little squawk. Yeah, Way to be sure. baby. Like yeah. if I was walking around Baltimore the day before opening day and there were a hundred thousand Orioles just flying around the city. That'd be lit and people would be amped about that, right? Now also, you can, like, you can do that thing, with the birds. You can only do that with the birds. You can't release tigers. Marlins no, need no, water. You, can't, you certainly can't collect tigers. That did not go well for those of you who saw the Netflix show. Um, also, uh, I think Orioles in particular is a great one because there aren't other teams called the Orioles. Like that's not, there are plenty of other Blue Jays and Cardinals at other levels of of sports, college, whatever, it is not distinctly associated with. T tell me, I'm wrong. I literally have never seen that name in any at any other level of anywhere else. So I feel like that that is the strongest option. But again, you could apply that to these other ones with tigers. I don't know of any other marlins. I think it's more likely there's those than Orioles. But obviously, there's plenty of tigers and 
Um, I guess D-backs is D-backs and Cubs is a little bit more unique, but I think that would be the good opportunity. I like that again. I don't know how ethically you could pull that off, but I do like it in spirit. What's so, different uh, between that and releasing doves? Uh, yeah, again, I just, I don't, I just am not, I, I should know this now as I, you know, I'm marrying into a family of birders. <laughs> so I am, I should know more about this. I actually am going to ask around about this, how feasible it would be to collect a bunch of one type of bird and then release it on opening day. Cause I do agree. I think that's the best version of this is like a celebration to really, really lean in to, uh, to the name. I'm glad we could end this 100th episode with a hard-hitting question about baseball. Thank you all for listening. We are very lucky that we get to do this for some of our living. It brings us quite a bit of joy. And I would say after a year in the podcast wilderness in 2022, having this as a staple in our lives has just been a source of joy for us and comfort in routine, and we absolutely love getting to do it three times a week for all of you beautiful, kind people. Looking forward to the next 100 episodes. I feel like episode 200 off the top of my head would be sometime either in the postseason or early offseason, I feel like, if I'm sort of doing that math right. Uh, so we will see what team. Maybe we'll be talking about Shohei Otani signing with the Guardians. But until then, uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing almost all 100 of these episodes, but certainly the vast majority. So we appreciate Chris. Thank you all for supporting us. We know, uh, appreciate all the people recommending us and, and talking about us where where you do. So you can leave us a rating and a review if you want to reflect that on, on Apple. Uh, you can do that. that would, we would appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, you, we thank you for listening and we will be back on Friday with episode 101. Make sure you drink some milk. Serious XM Podcasts.